This podcast brought to you by Earthlink. It's Thursday, February 2nd, 2006. I'm Molly Wood, author of CNET's Buzz Report. And I'm Tom Merritt, author of CNET's The Real Deal. Welcome to Buzz Out Loud, CNET's podcast of indeterminate length. Today featuring a super special guest, Mr. Leo Laporte. Hi, Molly. Woo! <laughs> a standing ovation of one. Tom was clapping too. Oh, thank you. Just I was away. cheering on the inside. <laughs> yeah, you forgot to introduce Veronica. You're so excited about Leo. I am. And of course, our fabulous producer, Veronica, who, without whom we couldn't even have Leo on the phone. I do what I can. <laughs> she, she routed the, the, the magic. So Leo, of course, uh, the host of This Week in Tech, amongst other many podcasts, also the host of Call for Help in uh, Tech TV Canada, and uh, the former host of The Screensavers and Call for Help, and he's been on the site, and he's on KFI, and he's just been doing this whole thing for God knows how long, Leo. And, uh, and five <laughs> books every year. Yeah. As if I had the time. And Leoville.com. So you barely work at all is what you're saying. I barely work at all. I recorded <laughs> 10 podcasts. It's not even noon yet. <laughs> I, you yet, think I'm joking. Actually, I'm not. And Leo records more podcasts before 9 a.m. than any of us do all day. And most of us listen to in a week. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, like you. I want to do a daily. Because I, nothing thing I do is daily. It's all weekly. So I'm going to launch a new daily gadget podcast. And uh, we just tape. How we just do you, two weeks. How before. do you do this? How many podcasts do you have now? I don't, I've lost count. Let's see. There's Twit, which is the big one. And then Security Now with Steve Gibson. Amber does Inside the Net. The KFI Show uh, is podcast. Um, and then I uh, we're going to launch this new uh, gadget podcast with Dick Bartolo from Mad Magazine. And oh. uh, then we're going to launch uh, Triangulation, which Dvorak wanted to do for a while, which is a three-way kind of interview thing. Kind of a silicon spinish thing? Yeah, although Twit's kind of silicon spinish. Triangulation, yeah. the idea is you pick one topic, you get an, uh, somebody who's really expert in that topic, and then John and I, or maybe other people, uh, will have a, a conversation. His idea is there's too much heat and not enough light in most of these you know, uh, uh, interview shows. Mm -hmm. It's all about the battle, not about the, co the content. Sure. So the first one we did with the pilot was with Larry Lessig, and we talked about Google Print and... Uh, it was it was great. It's a great half hour. So I think we're yeah we're gonna we're gonna launch that in the next couple of weeks. And that's one of the things we wanted to have you on to talk about is the whole podcasting business model that no one has exactly figured out yet. But you've got an interesting way of approaching it, at least with Twit, where you have the subscription model. How is that working out, and how do you apply that with the other podcasts? It, it's actually not a subscription model because it's free. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, and this is a confusing thing. Right. You have subscribers, <laughs> but they're donors. It's really more like the NPR model where we ask our listeners to support us. And about 1% of our listeners do pony up. Now, what we do is we make it a very low, you know, $2 a month. Uh, we encourage people to subscribe, although they can just give us money. I mean, it's not, it's not required, or they don't have to give us anything at all. And hmm. uh, That's worked okay, but it only gets you so far. Are you going to have to have Pledge Week? No. Good. I hate that. <laughs> I hate no that. auctions, it's no pledges. It's Pledge Week right now, and it's killing me. Yeah, I don't I don't like that either. No. Uh, but we're going to do uh, merchandise. Uh, just uh, we're, The store will launch in a couple of weeks. Just like in Spaceballs. That's where the real money is. It's all, it's all in merchandising. <laughs> yeah. Was there any money in Spaceballs? I don't know. Um, but really, I think ultimately advertising, the, the model for podcast is going to be advertising based. Right. And I think it's going to, I think it's imminent and I think it's going to be surprisingly lucrative that's, if you have a big enough podcast. That's interesting though, because you don't have ads now, right? We weren't going to do ads, uh, but then I realized that I couldn't, what I really want to do is grow and as, is create a little twit.tv network. And, and which it kind of is already, mm -hmm. but with, with enough shows that um, it's it's a kind of a well-rounded offering, 
And in order to do that, I just need more capitalization. And I think the only way to really do it is it's going to be more like NPR where we, we ask for listener support but also uh, corporate support. So small underwriting kind of It'll be underwriting. It won't be that small. Well, the ads will be small, but the the, the, <laughs> the, the checks will be big. The, the dollar will be size big. is surprising, and we're they're, yeah. uh, we're the people are talking now, and I think this is going to end up being the kind of the benchmark of at least a, a, a CPM of fifty bucks, which is a cost per thousand listeners for an ad of fifty dollars. Uh, so if you have a big, you know, we have two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand listeners to Twit, so uh, that's that's not an insignificant amount of money. Now, how do you track your listeners? Do you go by downloads, or do you have another way of doing it? Because I know Arbitron has said they're going to start trying to measure this, but <laughs> good luck. You know, yeah, ar- <laughs> arbitrary. <laughs> You know, the thing about downloading, uh, about podcasts, is in theory, you should have exactly the number. Uh, our problem is we're, uh, first of all, Creative Commons licensed, so anybody can mirror us, and mm-hmm. many do. I mean, we're on ourmedia.org. Many individuals mirror us. Our main feed is through America Online. They provide us with bandwidth, and I have numbers from them. Um, so Twit38, which is the last one I have numbers for, the uh, Macworld Expo uh, Twit, was 233,000 downloads. But I add on to that because we also offer it in BitTorrent and other flavors. Mm-hmm. We have video, which we don't. So I don't have good numbers from BitTorrent. I could get those uh, if I just had a, you know, got my act together and started logging the BitTorrent. But I'd never know the mirrors. So you never know an exact number. And I don't know how Arbitron proposes to. You know, they... Probably logs, diary, the way they've always done it. Mm-hmm. Nielsen had this cookie Well, they have that, mov- that moving the people monitor thing. The oh, yeah, people meter. that was kooky. Yeah. Yeah. They put, audio, they put uh, subterranean audio in the podcast, and they, yeah. you had to listen on a special player, and then it would mark it. The, the it's pretty interesting, though. It, well, it makes sense because a download does not necessarily equal a listen, does it? Exactly. Well, that's the thing. Because it's a subscription model, so you have no idea what right. kind of drop-off you have. But, I mean, in a magazine world, a, a, you know, a subscription doesn't mean a reader, uh, but you kind of assume that that's the circulation equals readership. In fact, right. you assume that there's a pass-around. Right. Uh, which I think is true in podcasting. I know a lot of people burn these and give them to friends and stuff. So I don't think we'll ever have accurate numbers, but I think we have numbers that are good enough and large enough that for some podcasters, this will, and some already are, 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 are making money. And it's nice now, that people have actually started to move away on the web from the click-through uh, idea anyway, so that people may be more accepting of that idea of, you know, you don't have to measure every single exact right. listen. Well, I mean, that's, of course, kind of the the thing that podcasting or web pages offer, uh, as opposed to television or radio, they are a little more accurate about who they're, you know, how many people are, are, are buying. I mean, that's the success of Google AdSense, mm-hmm. frankly, is that, you, you know, you, you get paid per click. Now, Leo, I saw you speak at um, Portable Media Expo otherwise known as the Podcasting Expo. And you talked a lot about how you thought talent was going to be, make the difference in podcasting, that that obviously the good ones were going to rise to the top. But how much do you also attribute it to audience? Because obviously you have an audience that will follow you everywhere. Even though we have no talent. And of course you have plenty of talent. We actually, I think you'll appreciate this. We actually got an email once asking us to have you on the show because your voice is to him Sextastic. <laughs> to him? Yes. He goes, yeah, sorry. No offense to my wife. But. Some things don't change. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, it was Jason Calacanis, the guy who preceded me, who uh, he did all the business models for podcasting, right. threw them all out the window, and finally said the only people who are going to ever make any money is talent. Yeah. Um, my, my, the, really, my thesis was just do it. Don't worry about making money. Most of you won't. And oh, that's right, right, unfortunately right. the truth is, 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 
most podcasts will never get a large enough audience to make money, but that's not the point, really. The point is that everybody has a voice. Every, I mean, most people who blog don't expect to make money on their blog either. I think a lot more people will make money on podcasting than we think. Mm-hmm. It will be more viable than we think, but I don't think it's going to make a lot of people rich. Well, it's interesting when you look at the iTunes rankings uh, or even the Yahoo rankings of podcasts, you see kind of a selection of the major networks. You know, you see NPR, you see ESPN up there. You see a a selection of people just doing it on their own. uh, And 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 then you see kind of what I consider the cross between that is the tech TV halo effect. You see Patrick, you see you guys, you see Kevin, uh, and you even see Martin, which is inexplicable to me. But uh, (laughs) Insider baseball, dude. Yeah. So Martin's got a very funny. Infected is actually very funny. Have well, you my, listened to it? Yeah, yeah, I have. Actually, I mean, it's not. It's not. You know, you have to have. It's a that. whole different thing. It's a different thing. Yeah. And but my point being, there's there's people who have an audience out there mm-hmm. who are kind of bringing them into it, and that would be the Halo Effect Tech TV people and the uh, and the major network people. Right. And then there's and then there's the people bubbling up like you're talking about. Well, I mean, you know, Five Minutes with Wichita is a darn good podcast. You know, Dan Class, The Bitterest Pill is a darn good podcast. And I think that what you're going to see, just as you do with blogs and websites, the web is very well suited to, you know, word of mouth. And I think word of mouth is going to do well. Now, Apple, unfortunately, I think this is not a good thing. Apple is kind of both the best and the worst thing that happened to podcasting. Mm -hmm. They control this to a great degree by who they highlight on the iTunes front page. And, you know, I mean, and and, and it's kind of sui generis. Whoever gets in the top 20 podcasts tends to stay in the top 20 podcasts. Yeah, it's self-fulfilling, right? So it's kind of unfortunate. And no one really knows how you end up in the top 20 podcasts. Well, you do, but I mean, it, it it works by getting a lot of clicks in a very short period of time. I mean, right. that's it's based on who's getting the most subscriptions in a. Sh- we don't know how long, but I think it's twenty four hour period of time. Uh, so I see. Um, you can rise up very quickly. Mac Break, which is the Mac show that we put out a week ago, almost instantly went at the top ten. It's now at number two, um, and it's probably going to stay up there for a while. The trick is staying on that list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, to some degree, you stay there because people see you and they click on you, but. After you've kind of got everybody you're going to get, you know, it's kind of hard to stay on that list. Yeah. So iTunes, everybody talks about how discoverability is the biggest problem. It's a big issue. iTunes is sort of just perpetuating the difficulty. So to answer Tom's question, really, the successful podcasters will be people who have an audience somewhere, whether it's on their web page or it's their newspaper article or or their byline on CNET. You're going to have to have some other driving factor, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, um, Leo, for you listeners, has graciously agreed to stay and participate in the news portion of our podcast discussion. You're going to regret that. So it seems like <laughs> maybe now is a good time. <laughs> yeah, when we come back, <laughs> we're going to talk about, about uh, we're going to talk a little about Google. We're talking about Verizon being a network hog, uh, some DVR ratings, and more. Stay with us. Do you believe anything is possible at Earthlink? We do. We believe the same company that delivers your lightning fast DSL connection can deliver your home phone service and wireless service too. One company for all your communication needs. Visit earthlink.net and start believing today. Earthlink, we revolve around you. Now, obviously, as you can see, we do have an ad. <laughs> That's great. So you see, you have commercials. Yes. You're, you're, you're viable. It's short. Um, so about the money, we have been talking a lot about Google lately. And uh, most recently, their stunning failure 
to miss quarterly earnings outlooks. What, this posting on Slashdot today is, is fantastic. It is really interesting, uh, actually. Google's under mounting pressure from many traditional industries. Telecommunications don't like their plan for free internet phone calls. Book publishers and newspapers have filed a lawsuit to try to prevent it from digitizing library materials. Governments are worried about its satellite imaging service. Google Earth and privacy advocates have a growing list of concerns about everything from its email service to the desktop search function. <laughs> you've got China. You've got the uh, subpoena case. I mean, they are just... the way this posting is written they're under attack from every avenue so it's no wonder that the right. stock is sagging but i'm wondering are they just overpriced anyway i don't think so at all i think people misunderstand google's uh, business they think they're a search engine mm-hmm. they're an advertising engine i think in short term the honeymoon had to wear off right that was the google had this insane kind of halo of you know they're we're not evil slogan right. And, right. and all of that that was going to wear off People start to realize, oh, they're a business. Oh, they're trying to make money. Ew, we don't like them anymore. <laughs> Ew, that's evil. Ew. We hate the big. And it, it's kind of ironic that the stock market doesn't money like them because they're not making enough money. <laughs> but I think in the long well, run... that's always the way, isn't yeah, it? Right. Stock market's I mean, always... Yeah, it's a, it's a shell game almost with that. With I think they have a very good business model. I think that in the long run, Google is a big winner. Yeah, well, analysts are talking about a holding pattern. This is the, the slash dot quotes come from a story in The Independent. Analysts are talking about a holding pattern in the $350 to $400 range for the foreseeable future. Poor things. Yeah, like boo-hoo, they're probably not going to get to 600 by the end of the year like we thought. It just looks disgusted. It's just heartbreaking. I think in the long run, Google is really going to do very well, even if people hate them because it's a great search engine. Well, they might, but they're going to still use them. The, 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 The thing I'd worry about is if Somebody, people stopped using Google. Right, which is unlikely. I think what what I mean by people are going to hate them is that they're going to continue to face this kind of attack because basically they're reaching into almost everyone's business yeah. at this point. And so media companies are scared. Advertising companies are scared. Search companies, obviously afraid. Traditional media, terrified. And I, it's just a matter of them weathering that storm and weathering the kind of onslaught of lawsuits. But But ultimately, I suspect that law and stock price is going to end up on their side. I suppose if everybody ganged up on them, they could put them out of business. Maybe, but you know, Luddite revolution, but people have said that about Microsoft for years too. And and no one ever did. It's not like the open source movement was organized enough to take them down. Maybe an open source movement to bring them down would work. It didn't work on Microsoft. The difficulty difficulty now is that the Google database is so big, it's almost impossible for somebody to enter the market. They have a a lock, in effect, on the market. I don't know how you would make an equivalent search engine. Now, speaking of Google's uh, problems with the telcos wanting to and they're usually brought up as the example with the telcos tiered pricing plan of somebody who'd have to pay to deliver uh, faster service especially regarding google video verizon has come out and said they're planning their own television service and they've allocated a swath of their bandwidth presumably on their backbone this is also on a slash dot posting today and leading net companies say that verizon's actions could keep some rivals off the road as consumers try to search google or buy books on amazon or watch videos on yahoo uh, and they'll all be trying to squeeze into the leftover lanes on Verizon's network. So this is a much more interesting way mm-hmm. of going about it, saying, hey, we're, we're not going to try to charge you necessarily. We're just going to use it all for ourselves. Right, I think it's kind of interesting. The guy who's complaining about this is Vince Cerf, uh-huh. who was formerly with MCI and is now at? Is now Google. <laughs> <laughs> is now building the alternate internet, which all these poor companies will be able to use right. <laughs> when Verizon squeezes them all out. Well, and the big question seems to be, is there really a bandwidth problem? If Verizon does suck up a bunch of their own backbone, mm-hmm. you know, is there not enough to go around elsewhere? Well, well and should they be allowed to? <laughs> 
Well, the other funny thing, uh, irony of this is Verizon's sister company, Verizon the ISP, and other ISPs have complained uh, because of people like Google uh, basically free riding their internet service and using their bandwidth. Right. So maybe we're in the midst of a bandwidth war. It does seem like we that is the perfect way to put it. It seems like we're much more in the middle of a bandwidth war than we are an actual bandwidth crunch. Oh, there's plenty of bandwidth. There's yeah. plenty of bandwidth, and there will be plenty of bandwidth. I don't care what fiber. Mark Cuban says. There's plenty of bandwidth. Right. There's dark fiber under this country to expand expand our bandwidth hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah, exactly. And so it's more about this almost this public relations war. But the, we've talked a lot about that sort of tiered internet model. And this, like Tom points out, is almost a subtler way for a company like Verizon to to essentially maybe even force those companies into paying for priority service because Verizon itself would already be using so much of its own bandwidth. I think ultimately uh, we've made a mistake uh, when the NSF turned over the backbone in 1995, I think it was about 10 years ago, to uh, the, the phone companies that said, okay, now it can be commercial. It's no longer government run. That was a big mistake. It's like saying, mm-hmm. okay, the uh, private industry can own the highways. Yeah, absolutely. Right. We've said that a bunch of times. It just, it has, are there to, any it has non- to be regulated. Are there any non-telcos that own backbone, Leo? Do you know? Um, I've been looking. I've been trying to find the answer question. to this for yeah, a while. We don't know. That's a good question. I mean, you know, it's I, where it came from is, is Sprint, uh, because it had railway right of ways, was able to put in big, big copper and then mm-hmm. big fiber because they had all these railroad right of ways, and then MCI did the same thing. Um, you know, I, I imagine. I mean. Doesn't the Defense Department have its own backbone? I'm sure the Pentagon does. But they're not sharing. (laughs) No. (laughs) And universities probably have a backbone. But essentially, you are buying it from the phone company. Yeah. Um, I think it's maybe time to, I don't know, uh, uh, take over the, it's such a communistic thing to say, but maybe take over these backbones uh, and have them be run You want to privatize the backbones? (laughs) Opposite of privatize, governmentize. They should be government run. I think they should absolutely. Yeah, nationalize. It needs to be regulated. It needs to be regulated as a utility. And actually, you know, the more the telcos take these kinds of steps, I, I think the more it will actually strengthen the movement toward regulating. I don't know if I'd go so far Access. as to nationalize it, but yeah, definitely there needs to be some regulation to allow a fair playing ground. Maybe a good model is the railroads because yeah. uh, they were all privately owned, but they had to interoperate, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and there was regulation that kept the railroads from uh, you know making essentially toll toll roads. I think. I mean, uh, although the fact that the railroads are privately owned is what kept those poor people from Atlanta to New York. Mm. stuck on the mm-hmm. tracks for 28 hours That's because true. the freight got yeah, prioritized yeah. ahead of time. And the uh, and uh, what well. prompted the internet interstate highway uh, system which is a government run and, uh, yeah. and and it does in fact reliably connect us all. We need mm-hmm. Eisenhower to step in and take over the internet <laughs> <laughs> or Al Gore's dad. Someone uh, so once you get all of that video across the internet, no matter how we figure out to do it, you're going to want to keep it on your DVR because you'll be watching IPTV, obviously. Uh, Nielsen nice, nice has segue. been trying to <laughs> figure out a way to rate recorded. This has been a problem for a while. Rate recorded uh, viewing when you time shift and everything. They came out with a, a rating system on December 26th that they've been working on for a long time, but the buyers aren't buying. They, they say, A... It's not a good sample, and Molly's got a lot of information on that from Natpee, but it's, an, it's only, what, 60 boxes? It's you said? 60 boxes, <laughs> and there are roughly 4 oh. million, maybe more DVRs across the nation. Yeah, to me, there's no way that's even statistically representative. So the argument among the industry is that, for one, Nielsen hasn't been trying very hard to d- be sampling DVR ratings in the first place, and then now the argument seems to be among the buyers, 
look, this is this is crap data. We're not well, buying it. TiVo's well, been trying to sell its own data. TiVo has excellent data oh, yeah. for yeah. a long time. Yeah, their own data is is much pure, much more comprehensive. And it has the stuff that the buyers are begging for, which is, are they fast forwarding? Right. Yeah. And that's what they want. That's their other big concern, right? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, are people, and this goes back to what you're saying, Leo, about podcasts. Are people actually seeing my ads? Because they don't want to go with a magazine-like feature here. They want to make sure that those ads are viewed. I remember TiVo sent us a report on one of the episodes of the Screensavers. It was the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. You get a graph that shows how many times people watched any given part, and there were spikes where we we did something that people rewound to watch again, and and then there are dips when they fast forwarded. You know exactly minute by minute what people are doing. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty amazing, and that's the stuff that Nielsen is absolutely not. Well, absolutely is it, not. Is it providing. just because? Do you need to get that? No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it off. it's just Busted. because. Uh, is it just because TiVo? Is delivering the data that the comp- that the ad companies don't want to buy it from them? Well, I've never really understood that. TiVo's got more than sixty boxes. I think people are buying uh, the the uh, the TiVo information, but uh, the problem is that you need some central, statistically reliable source. Nielsen's, you know, the the dirty little secret of. Oh, I'm sorry, that's my answering. Machine. <laughs> now, I turned off the ringer. Now the answering machine's been. The dirty little secret of the whole thing is uh, that nobody's ever liked or thought Nielsen's ratings were reliable. Exactly. That, in fact, television knows perfectly well they're highly inflated, yeah. but none of the locals are willing to drop Nielsen, uh, and uh, they, they kind of insist on it being used. Otherwise, they'd be making much less money. I think it's a big opening for somebody else to, to kind of ride in and say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to make it. We could strike a deal with TiVo. We could strike a deal with uh, the other boxes yeah. out there, with the cable companies, and, and create a coalition that actually compiles all of this data from all the DVRs. Well, yeah. Ultimately, it's going to go away, though, because we'll know uh, within year, a few years exactly what anybody's watching at any one we time. We will, exactly, with IPTV. I yeah. actually, I shouldn't even say this out loud, but I think the killer business opportunity is to be the person who goes to Microsoft in the next six months and says, I have built a real-time aggregator for viewing. Mm-hmm. I can tell you exactly what anybody's watching at any given time, when they change the channel, what ads they watch. You know, and when it's all, it's literally like a real-time chart. Like, they have it... Um, What's the the home shopping network? Right. Oh yeah. yeah as people are buying, they as graph. people are buying, yeah. they're graphing. I mean, if you're the advertising aggregator that builds that business, whoo. You know, right now, QuickTime can send a ping back to home base when something's mm-hmm. being played. I yeah. mean, there. The, I think that may be what happens. If Microsoft puts this in the players, or somebody puts it in the players, it's you're going to need to do it. You know, you can't get consumers to buy twenty different players. And if they do, then you're really in trouble because you can't aggregate the information. So there, maybe the lack of a centralized system will make it more difficult. It's all going digital, too. February 17th, 2009, Analog TV. <laughs> Goodbye. Right. It's just another bump in the road. Analog it's a windfall TV. for the federal government is what it is. Yeah. Billions of dollars. The auction. Oh, when they auction off that they bandwidth. Auction off that bandwidth. That's the whole point of this is to get that analog, uh, very, very valuable analog spectrum. But back I, from the broadcasters, it's worth untold billions of dollars. I remember but I when I thought that was just for emergency broadcasts, and that's why they wanted to go digital. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I remember when that's I that's what John McCain said when I discovered that all of the radio dials fit between what channel six and seven. I think. Yeah. Uh, that, that amazed me. It's a lot. I mean, this, those, those there's so much bandwidth available. Well, and it's very it's premium bandwidth because it's it's low frequency. It's 700 megahertz bandwidth, and that means it goes through walls, right? Your TV goes through walls. Guess what doesn't go through walls? Why? Wi-Fi right now, mm-hmm. so this is really premium bandwidth, oh, yeah. and these yeah. you know these spectrum auctions, which uh, the FCC pioneered some years ago, have proven to really be a big money generator. And the feds think ten billion dollars or more 
I bet it's more when they finally auction the spectrum off. And I'm sure it'll all go to education. Yeah. Yeah. Our kids <laughs> win too. And healthcare. Uh, we got to get to some emails here. want to thank Andrew for the Segway picture. He put my head on somebody riding a Segway. <laughs> Video in case you don't ever. know. And Veronica has put it up on the Flickr thing. Yeah. So if you want to take we a We call look Tom at it. the Segway king. Because as you heard, the Molly. man can cleverly craft a Segway. Do you ride a Segway? <laughs> <laughs> to work. Yeah. No. To work, yes. I, uh, I wish. Uh, also to Nick, uh, who was very sad about no more Gubuntu, because we were talking about the Gubuntu distribution. Yeah. And it's, it's not actually... Gubuntu? Gubuntu. He wanted to hear Molly and Veronica say it again. Gubuntu! I'm getting excited. Bob, the patent lawyer, wrote in. He said, first off, a big shout out. He listens every day. Uh, he, he, though the anti-software patent rants needles him sometimes because well, of because course, he's, he's a, a patent, patent attorney. attorney. Uh, but Bob, he, you and me got to talk. He, he was uh, saw from Dig about CBS selling Survivor episodes and uh, looked at the last paragraphs. New episodes will be available shortly after midnight following the airing of new episodes on TV. Customers will be able to watch the episode for a 24-hour period after paying. He says, quote, is it my imagination or do they just not understand what the consumers really want? Do they watch their own stuff? Pay $1.99 and have to watch it within 24 hours? Give me a break. I'll TiVo it and watch it when I damn well please and skip the commercials. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you go, Bob, the patent lawyer. Uh, and, um, and he said, if I could pay a buck ninety nine and have it, say like lost, he would do that as well. But they're idiots, just plain idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, it's not your imagination. <laughs> Bob, direct that anger towards reforming patent law, will you? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Bob, I'm sorry to say you're going to be on the show in a few weeks and it's going to be <laughs> ugly. <laughs> and finally, uh, we had a great email from Bedford, England to the magnificent Molly, the often voracious Veronica and er, Tom. Yeah, I'm, I'm used to that. <laughs> he thinks we say awesome too much. And could we please replace some of the awesomes with jolly good or excellent? I think how about, that would be lovely. How about wicked awesome? Wicked awesome. <laughs> Very kinetic. Mm-hmm. Very Stupid fresh. He says, I'm sure Her Majesty the Queen Hella would. cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Actually, I heard a woman in the movie store the other day say, hecka rad. Oh, Ooh, dear. Yeah. What? We went, out, doesn't flow goes, we went over all. to this guy's shorty's house and it was hecka rad. Sounds like a measurement of radiation, actually. It, it does, actually. <laughs> That's you, boffo. Sorry, you have to go to the hospital. You've had hecka rads. <laughs> And also, he wants to know, um, Adrian says, P.S. We're bored of Madonna. Please take her back. Not a chance, Adrian. Sorry. No. He also has a really really (laughs) interesting link here about a band called the Arctic Monkeys Uh uh, who have marketed themselves on the Internet and actually landed a recording contract and become one of the U.K.'s biggest acts right now. You know about them? Yeah. Yeah. They actually they signed to uh, Franz Ferdinand's label Domino. Oh, really? And they had like one of the biggest selling singles in the U.K. and in Europe and everything. And do you know how they built their business? I mean, I don't know. I don't know the model, actually, but I was um, and I haven't even heard their 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 music yet. Their, their rock band. Their fandom. They built this business. <laughs> That's what they did. They built it on rock. Nice. No, but they're Two doing very well for themselves with, based but off their internet Yeah, community. apparently they were giving away their music on mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. on the web and people were burning it and passing it around and, and it worked. It's very grassroots you know? and that's what's going to get people big these A days. A good example. All cool. right. 
Thank you well, very much, yes, Adrian. Thank you so much, uh, Leo, for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Hey, well, now you know the number. Call any time. It, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Fantastic. You shouldn't I, say that. I got this will. ISDN line, and I'm not doing anything with it. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad we could finally put it to use. Yeah. I know. Yeah, my pleasure. You're speaking, very welcome. Speaking of numbers, uh, we do usually take voicemails, uh, and we'll get the back to catching up on those tomorrow. Yeah, we held off on those today. 1-800-616-CNET is the number to call, and you can email us, buzz at cnet.com. Post in our forums at forums.cnet.com. Just look for the Buzz Out Loud Lounge. That's it for us, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye.